We're in a series today called Risky Faith. Um, This series reflects our core value of anchored teaching, and so we're looking into the life of Elisha. Uh, Last week, we talked about his transition into leadership and how that looked, Um, but today's snapshot into Elisha's life involves a desperate mom. It involves a desperate mom. So if you are a mother, um, can you remember a time that you felt desperate? Will anybody admit, admit that today? Was it this morning? Okay, right? Getting to church is sometimes the hardest feat. Maybe I should ask it this way. Can you remember a time you weren't desperate, <laughs> right? When you become a mother. I was in Target um, a while ago, and, and somehow I was alone Um, Usually I have my three kids, I have a nine, five, and three-year-old with me, Um, but I was alone, slipping in there for something quickly, and um, there was a young mom in there with a screaming toddler, a crying baby, she was trying to get the groceries she needed on her list, the kid was having a meltdown on the floor, invariably because they probably wanted something that she said no to. Um, Then they started yelling at each other, the toddler started running down the aisle, you know, the picture, and... um, She was doing the typical mom threats, you know, I'm going to take you to the car, but secretly you're thinking, I can't take you to the car because I need these groceries, you know, but I'm going to say that, or we're going to leave here without the prize, or or, stop that right now, you know, but to no avail. And this other lady uh, in the store uh, casually walks by me, and and I think to try to justify her inner thoughts, she says um, in this sort of sharp, judgmental way, wow, she just should have stayed home, that's a real disruption. But the thing is, she, she talked to the wrong person <laughs> because I said, um, yeah, I have three of those at home, <laughs> and that's been me about a hundred times. I'm just lucky to be in here alone. And I walked over to the lady, and I just said, can I help you? And she said, no. And I said, I understand. <laughs> and I walked away and tried to pray for her. Now, moms aren't the only people who get desperate. Dads, you can get pretty desperate sometimes. Uh, in certain situations. Um, I went to Israel in November. I've been telling you about that for the past several months. I was gone for about 12 days, longest time I've been away uh, from my family. Now, it was an incredible experience. Missed my family deeply. Joel was a champ. He took care of the girls while I was away. Um, He even bathed them once, which is good. Um, (laughs) Anyway, he really excellent, really excellent father. But I was on the phone. I called home. I was talking to my nine-year-old. I said, Cecily, what are you doing today? She said, we're going to Dollar General. I said, cool. What are you going to get? You know, what did you get there? Uh, she said, well, we got, you know, um, some milk and some, I needed some colored pencils. And then we got socks and underwear. And I said, well, what, why did you get that? <laughs> and she said, oh, daddy doesn't really want to do laundry. <laughs> I said, all right. Desperate times. You just go to Dollar General, pick it all up. Mommy will be home in nine days. So <laughs> he made it happen. I did get permission to share that story. So I want to look at the scripture today about a desperate mom. Second Kings 4, 1 through 6. And I'm going to kind of walk, walk us through this, slow step us through this, okay? So the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So last week we learned that the company of the prophets was this group of people who were studying to be prophets. So they were kind of the interns. They were in school. 
And so uh, Samuel probably created this seminary. And this woman comes to Elisha, who was investing in these prophets in training. And she says, my son is dead, and it is not safe. Uh, I'm not safe. I have to, I have no one to protect me. And some theologians actually believe that this is Obadiah's wife. Okay, Obadiah, who was a prophet. And um, they said, listen, this woman owed some debt. And she didn't have the means um, to pay the debt. And the creditor said, look, I want your two sons to work for me for the woman's debt. But she didn't have the money to pay. Now, back then, um, in some households, slaves were treated really well. In fact, um, they, they helped. And once they paid back the debt, they were able to go back home. But in some households, uh, the, the slaves were actually cruelly treated. They were, they were very cheated. And so this desperate mother already lost her husband, and she says, I do not want to lose my sons too. And so she's having this really desperate moment. So Elisha replies to her, how can I help you? Tell me what to do. What, tell me, what do you have in your house and she says, your servant has nothing there at all, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, Elisha does something really interesting here. He could have said, okay, you don't have enough um, to pay off your debt, so let's just pray in a pile of money. Or let's just um, magically kind of pray in and make these valuables appear on the table so then you can uh, pay off your debt and then your sons will be able to stay home. He doesn't say that. He says, what do you have? Because God will work with that. He says, what do you have in your house? When you need something, he often uses what he has already given you. He often uses what he's already put inside of you. He, he will use your upbringing to help you speak into the life of someone else. He will use that thing that you went to school for to have a clearer picture of what he's doing around you. He will use that skill or that ability that he has placed inside you to help your family member in need. He'll use your love for, for creating or crafting to minister to people. He, He'll use your lame sense of humor to bring joy to hurting people. <laughs> he will use that compassion that, that leaks out of you and makes you appear weak sometimes to help a friend that no one understands. That passion you have for kids, he has a plan for that. That, that way you can take a few ingredients and mix up something delicious. He'll use that. When a budget spreadsheet thrills you, he made you that way. <laughs> He takes these things that are inside of us and he uses them. The thing that makes you seem weird to other people is the same thing that makes you wonderful to God. So what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? God can use that. When you're desperate, God says, I have put things inside of you. I have allowed you to have experiences. I've allowed you to have gifts and abilities and people in your life that when I come to you and you say, God, I need your help, he says, okay, what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? He gave you those things, but what do you have? It reminds me of David, a character in the Old Testament, um, who was a harpist and a warrior. 
and a king eventually. Now, a harpist and a warrior are two skills that don't often go together. <laughs> His hands are covered in dirt and blood and the battle from, from you know, strangling people in the field, and yet he goes home and he plays a little music on his harp. A little strange. Those same hands are tickling the strings of the harp and then going out and cutting off people's head with a sword. These are strange skills together. Maybe a warrior and a drummer, Cephas. I could see that. I mean, just like, you know. But not a warrior and a harpist. But God knew that David needed to be a harpist in 1 Samuel 16 so he could get in front of the king. He could become the audience of the king. But in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 17, God needed a warrior. And if David was just a harpist, he wouldn't have been able to kill Goliath. But if he was just a warrior, he wouldn't have gotten the position to see the king. You see, Jesus said, God said, look, I'm going to put all of this inside of you because for the duration of your life, sometimes you're going to need to be a harpist and sometimes you're going to need to be a warrior. And sometimes it's going to be weird that you have all these things inside of you and that you have these different skills, but I'm going to put it in you because I know what you're going to need. So what's in your house? That's what Elijah is saying. What is in your house? Because God will use the whole of who you are. He will use all the strange things that you can't understand about yourself. He will use all the passions and dreams and experiences because you are custom tailored and there's nothing about you that God won't use and there's nothing about you that God doesn't want to put into practice and into play. So, we're only two verses in. I'm sorry. Get a little excited about this. All right. So Elijah, so the, de- the mom has a problem. The boys are going to be sold into slavery if she doesn't get this debt paid off. Elisha says, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Which I imagine Elisha probably thought maybe she had something else. But this, the woman says, your servant has nothing there at all. She said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, I want to look into that and what that means. The word uh, in the scripture translated jar is actually from the Hebrew root word meaning anointing. Anointing. So what she says is, literally, all I've got is an anointing of oil. All I've got is an anointing of oil. Some theologians believe that this was what she was saving for when she was going to die. That all she had left was what she was going to use after she died. Put this on me. It's my burial anointing. This is all I have left. And oil in the scripture, over and over again, is used to depict the Holy Spirit. So the widow is in a bind. She's in trouble. And all she has is a little anointing oil. And I believe that God wants us to see in her response here that when you're in a situation with no way out, When you have no capital, when you have no equity, when you have no other source of provision, when you have no escape, there's nothing, you you have thought through the scenario and there's absolutely nothing else you can possibly do to get out of the situation that you're in. If you have the Holy Spirit, that will be enough. If you have the Holy Spirit, that will be enough. Because in God's world, Small things can be big things with the Holy Spirit. Small things can be big things. In fact, Jesus uh, talks about this principle all the time when he was here on earth. He tells two parables in Matthew 
You might remember them. The first is about a mustard seed. Smallest seed in all the world. Smallest, tiny mustard seed. And this is what he says about a mustard seed, is that if you plant it, it can uh, erupt, it grow into such a huge bush, three times our height, reaching to the clouds, big enough branches that it can house an entire flock of birds. That's what a mustard seed can produce. And he says the kingdom of God is like this tiny mustard seed because with the Holy Spirit, small things can be big things. Small things can be big things. And then he tells another parable about yeast. He says you just take this pinch of fermented dough, you, you, you put yeast in it, and it can feed 40 people three meals a day for, for several days. What begins minutely in God's kingdom ends massively. That's what he's showing us with all these parables. And even in this Old Testament moment, he says, look, you only have one anointing of oil. Well, that's enough if you have the Holy Spirit. Because one small thing with the Holy Spirit can become a big thing and can become more than enough. So let's go to verse 3. Elisha says, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few He's got big faith. Go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars as each is filled. Put it to the side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. So she went and she told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So she filled every jar with one little anointing of oil. She filled every jar she had that was empty. And the oil was sufficient to fill every jar. And when there was no empty jars left, the oil stopped flowing. So if the oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit, then what we see here is that there is oil, there is, there is more of the Holy Spirit for every longing, hungry, empty heart. For every thirsty, hungry person, there is enough of the Holy Spirit to go around. And as long as there are vessels to be filled, the oil will flow. As long as there's empty jars for God, as long as there are willing people to say, God, we want more of you, as long as we're standing here like this, that oil kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. Sometimes I think that the only thing that hinders us from seeing more of God's hand in our lives is simply because we don't make the room for it. We get maybe a few experiences with God. We get a few experiences with the Holy Spirit. We think, I'm all filled up now. I'm good, I, I, you know, I, I've had my, my time with God. If you ever start thinking you're full or you've arrived spiritually or there isn't any more of God for you to understand, you are in a dangerous spot. Because the scripture says that's when the oil stops flowing. That's why I'm always telling you to come to church ready. To, to come to church with the words of God that he gives you to speak and the gifts that God wants you to release through you. Because if we show up and we're not hungry or thirsty for Jesus, then there's nothing I can say. There's nothing the worship team can do. There's no exciting thing that we can create. The oil will stop flowing. 
But if we are constantly hungry and wanting more of God and more of the oil of the anointing and we're open and we're available for God to pour into us, then the scripture says the Holy Spirit will never stop flowing. So here's the takeaway today, actually. I always um, think of something that I want you guys to think about and remember and repeat to yourself through the week. As long as there are vessels to be filled, the oil will flow. As long as there are vessels to be filled, the oil will flow. And Jesus even said in John 7, 37 through 39, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So Jesus is declaring this. He's declaring the same principle that we're seeing in 2 Kings. So God provides a widow's need through Elisha, and in doing so, he shows his character. I I talked about this last week, but what was happening um, at the time in the culture is the people were asking for a king, but the kings were failing. They kept uh, messing up. They kept doing things that were wicked and evil. And so finally God said, okay, the kings can't effectively lead this community to show my character, so now I'm going to send the prophets. And so a good king cares for his people's needs. And God is saying to Elisha, go, there is this one woman, this one desperate mom, and she needs you to show her that I care for her needs, that I'm concerned about her needs. That we can trust God to meet our needs and to meet them in unexpected ways. I bet if you asked that desperate mom that morning, hey, how are you going to make it today? How are you going to get the things you need for, your, for the person that you owe the money to? She would have never said, well, uh, the prophet's going to come and I'm going to pour a whole bunch of oils out of this one little anointing oil. But she trusted that if she asked the guy that she knew was training to hear from the Lord, that God would show up in an unexpected way. So in the same way that the widow asked Elisha for help, I believe this is a reflection that we need to ask God for help when we have a need, when we have a desperate need. And if you're here today, and maybe you can relate to the widow, or maybe you can relate to the desperate mom in Target, I want you to leave with just five prayers. I'm just going to go through these quickly this morning. Five desperate prayers that you can pray today when you leave here to a God who hears you. Okay, the first one is this, God search me. Would you just say that out loud? God search me. Psalm 139 talks about search me, oh God, and know my heart. We have to allow God to enter into every closet and every corner of our lives. We have to let him come in and clean house and change our priorities. And we have to give him everything, every part of who we are. If you leave today and you pray this prayer this week, God search me, he will tell you the things in your life you need to realign. He will tell you the things in your life that are maybe causing the desperation. God, search me. All right, here's the second one. God, stretch me. Say that to somebody next to you. God, stretch me. Isaiah 54 says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Our prayer should be for God to stretch our vision, stretch our heart for others. Help us be a better mom. Help us be a better dad. Help us be a better employee or, or a sister or a better student. Help me be a better, a better person, a uh, church member. God is just saying, we got to say, Lord, stretch us. I love that word picture. You've probably heard it before of, 
You know, you say to God, move this mountain, and God says, I'll just give you mountain climbing shoes. Or that song, that such a great song, sometimes he calms the storm, other times he calms his child. Sometimes we give God the solution for the desperate need. I'll just go buy a lottery ticket, you can just show me what number, and we'll be good. And God's like, no, that's not actually how I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to give you a little jar of oil. Okay. You know, because he wants to show us what he can do. So God, stretch me. God, stretch me. I want to warn you, if you pray that prayer this week, he'll answer it, okay? So just buckle up, (laughs) because he will. It's like when you pray for patience. Anybody ever pray for patience? Man, Peachtree is so slow when you pray for patience. Because God is saying, all right, I'll teach you how to be this way. Number three, God, break me. I won't make you say that, because you may have to prepare yourself for that one. This prayer is hard. This prayer is dangerous. But God says in the scripture, when our hearts are broken, when they're contrite, God can mold them and God can change them. And so often we have to come to God and say, would you break my habits? Would you break my unforgiveness? Would you break my addictions? Would you break my negative thinking? Would you break my religious spirit? Would you break my expectations? God, break me. I'm desperate. Would you break me? Number four, God, lead me. Matthew 26, 39 has Jesus' words. It says, not my will, Father, but your will be done. When we're desperate for answers, when we're desperate for help, when we're desperate for a way out, we say, God, would you lead me? Would you lead me into your arms? Would you lead me into your will? Would you lead me to a place that I would only go if you took me? Would you lead me to a place where I would never go on my own, but God, not your will, but mine be done? And prayer five is, God, use me. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. What if we got up every morning and we said, God, would you use me? Would you use me? Would you bring purpose to my life I know that the oil would overflow in us because we would be open vessels and the oil of the Holy Spirit would flow in us. I'm positive that these are prayers that Elisha prayed often. God, search me. God, stretch me. God, break me. God, lead me. God, use me. And God used Elisha mightily. And I believe when we pray those prayers in desperation, about desperation, that he will use us today, that he will use what you have in your house because the Holy Spirit is enough. He will use what you have in your house because the Holy Spirit is enough. As we pray, God, search me, God, stretch me, God, break me, God, lead me, and God, use me. Would you stand today? I'm just going to pray over each of you, and then you can go enjoy your mom today or whatever celebration you have. Would you just pray with me this morning? Father, we just stand before you, God, some of us in very desperate places today. Some of us carrying burdens that we haven't shared with anyone yet. Some of us wrestling through things that we thought would be over by now, but we're still dealing with it. God, some people today are celebrating because they have Kids and grandparents and grandmas and moms and some people feel lonely because that is not 
what their life looks like. And so, God, today might be a very desperate day for some of our friends in this room. But, God, we know, just as we saw in the scripture, that you show up in the desperate places, that you care about the needs of your people, that you are a good king. And, Father, that just as we saw Elisha went to one widow and helped her situation out, God, you seek out the one God, we don't deserve it. We'll never earn it. But God, you seek us out. And Lord, we pray today that you would search us. God, that you would stretch us, that you would break us, that you would lead us. And God, that you would use us. That you would use us to bring your kingdom further and faster. God, that you would use us to usher in your presence, Lord that you would use everything we have in our house, all the strange things, all the weird things, and all the wonderful things, God, all the experiences we've had, that you would use us. And it is in your awesome name I pray, amen.